Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David Johnson, and I'm joined by the other guy. Yep, I'm Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. Or perpetually incorrect side. Uh, Today, we are going to be doing uh, part six. In my mind, it's really part five, people. Okay, here's the thing. I talked myself into taking one of the parts and stretching them into two episodes. But to me, that was still one part. But I number them different parts. So, anyway, part five or six, depending on how you number the episodes. Today, we will be finishing up why I stopped caring about what the Bible says and why you should, too. Let's get right into it. All right, let's do it. I'm going to take a few minutes and um, lay out my case. Part six, you should stop caring about what the Bible says because it is a violent book. I was trying to find a better way to say that, Um there, violence, not always bad. I love I love sports, I love football. Uh, so, don't call me a hypocrite. Uh, I like to see um, I like to see people clash in uh, in a in a ballet of flesh. Uh, I don't like boxing though. I find boxing to just be gratuitous. So, you know, maybe in the in the thread we can have a. a a discussion, a more nuanced discussion about the difference between violence and gratuitous violence. But I think that um, the Bible suggests an orientation toward violence that civilized people reject today. Now, you might ask, well, you know, why don't you just, why don't you just say, um, because the God of the Bible is immoral? And the reason is, I, I just think that's too easy of an argument. So, I agree the God of the Bible is immoral. The God of the Bible is an evil God. With a God like that, who needs a devil? All right? But that's, an, that's a really easy argument to make. It does, I, don't have to, I don't have to work at that at all. Um, as I wrote in my blog, no one would ever accept that as a, uh, a doctoral thesis. It's not because it's not true or that you couldn't back it up. It's just that it's, it's too simple and too broad. So I did want to... Uh, give myself a little bit more work to do and focus specifically on the celebration of violence that the Bible is and that we today hopefully are not. Also, we have two episodes coming up within the next few weeks with uh, with guests who are scholars who have, uh, at least one of them has a book uh, that's coming out. It may be out already. Uh, on the subject, uh, on biblical violence. And so consider this a primer uh, for those to come. And both of those guests are going to be Christian guests. Okay, point number one. Violence is never justified in some situations. Now, I think back in A&E times, they, they didn't have that particular sensibility. They, they thought that violence was always an answer. In, in fact, I think in most cases, they thought that violence was always the answer. It's the go-to answer. But it was always at least an answer for them. 
there was no situation where violence wasn't appropriate at, at some point. So even if it wasn't the first choice, it would be the second choice. Violence is always uh, appropriate there. And I would say that in a, in a more uh, advanced uh, ethical culture, there are many situations where violence is simply off the table. Let me give a couple of examples. Um, male violence against women is always bad. It's simply always bad. Adult violence against children is always bad. Uh, there, you know, you can you can try to argue a case for it, but you're a monster if you do. I, I'm not even out, so it's just always bad. Um, the um, it, so I mentioned athletics uh, earlier. Fan of athletics. It's we in this society even consider it inappropriate uh, to have mismatched um, athletic competitions. We don't allow men to uh, be in violent athletics against women. It's not that women couldn't sometimes win, but it's a physical mismatch. We don't allow uh, college teams that are really good to play smaller colleges that don't have the same talent pool and, and the same money to attract students. We don't do that. Uh, that would be wrong. Uh, we don't allow boxers, uh, heavyweights, to fight uh, lightweights because that would be wrong. And so when there's an imbalance of power, I think that this is what I'm uh, getting at, when there's an obvious imbalance where there's a strong against the weak, there's no justification for violence. And when you consider God as the most powerful being of all, and humans to be among the weakest creatures of all, it, it's hard to justify any situation where God has to use violence uh, in that situation. It's like the husband who says, but she made me beat her. It, it, it's not accepted. In fact, the, the distance is greater than that. So it's even less acceptable. Uh, than that. Point two, uh, God does not offer a non-violent option for dissenters. So whether you argue it's his first option or his second option, it's, it's almost always the first or the second option. If you're a dissenter, if you're someone who disagrees with God with your free will, you choose not to do what God wants to do. Violence is going to be uh, one of those things that is visited to you at some point. Maybe not be the first thing, but it's going to be visited to you at some point. Because ultimately, to, to disobey God is to be treated like the demons in the end times, which is to, to be sent to the place that was prepared for them. Uh, we, can, we can see examples of this. Um, the only option given to Adam and Eve uh, was, if you disobey me, I'm going to kill you. That was the first option. There, were, there was no other option. Obey or die is, is a um, constant theme. That's how the story starts. That's how the story ends. David's trilemma. All three of those solutions that were offered, uh, if you don't know what I mean, um, yeah, look it up. Uh, all three of the solutions that were offered were, were grisly, violent options that David had to choose from. <clears throat> uh, God's final solution, uh, uh, Armageddon. Now, I, I don't 
when I was a Christian, I didn't believe in this final war, this Armageddon thing, but I have to acknowledge that a lot of Christians do. His final solution is, is um, you know, a war to end all wars, ultimate violence. And if you if you don't buy Armageddon, hell, at least half Christian, Christians who believe in hell think that, um, you know, it is in the ultimate violent state. So, once again, if you're a dissenter, you're going to get violent somewhere down the line. It's 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 how God deals with all dissenters at some point. Point number three, even God's forgiveness requires God. So if, if you're talking about the good God, the nice Jesus, it's still violent. Uh, so in order to forgive people's sins uh, or to roll forward people's sins, depending on how you want to say it and what your particular theology is, in... in um, in the Hebrew scriptures, we required animal sacrifices. Uh, once again, that's a, that's violence. It's violence not visited on people, but it still has to be visited on something. Remember the uh, the uh, passage in the book of Hebrews, it's a New Testament uh, passage, that says, uh, without blood there can be no forgiveness. This is the moral intuition of God. Uh, something has to bleed and die. Uh, we look at the violent death of Jesus. So it's monstrous that Jesus had to die for our sins. But it wasn't enough for Jesus to die. Jesus couldn't come and, you know, die of old age or die with a lethal injection or, you know, die from uh, carbon monoxide. He had, it had to be a violent death uh, in order to be the right kind of uh, death for, for God. So uh, point number four. Uh, we're all called to endure violence. I just thought I'd throw this in. This is uh, not hinted at in my uh, blog, but uh, some food for thought. Uh, God calls us to endure a great deal of, dare I say, violence. Turn the other cheek is a call for Christians to endure violence. Take up your cross is a call for Christians to endure violence. You will suffer persecution is a is a call that Christians will endure violence. Uh, let me just read this passage from First Peter. Slaves, yield to the authority of your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and kind, but also those who are dishonest. A person might uh, have to suffer even when it is unfair, but if he thinks of God and can stand the pain, God is pleased. Just pause for a moment and think of that last statement. That's atrocious. But that is the type of thing that God calls us for. Let me continue. If you are beaten for doing wrong, there's no reason uh, to praise you for being uh, patient in your punishment. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. There's no reason to praise you for being patient in your punishment. But if you suffer for doing good and you are patient, then God is pleased. That is what you were called to do. To suffer? Really? Because Christ suffered for you and gave you an example to follow. So you should do as he did. I, I, I think this passage, once again, speaks to the kind of moral inclination of the God that inspired it. It also speaks to a kind of uh, suffering fetish that Christians have, this, this cult of martyrdom, uh, that in order to show how righteous you are, 
you have to suffer greatly. This is, this is what we're called for. So God is not uh, neither trying to shield us from violence, nor is he trying to, uh, nor is he trying to um, eschew violence as a solution. And we're always told that violence is not the answer. But when you get in Bible land, violence is not only the answer, it's pretty much the only answer. Even when, even when, uh, God tries to offer something else first to say, we're going to drive out the people as opposed to slaughter everyone. And then if they don't leave, we'll slaughter them. But even the act of driving out people is done with soldiers and swords. It's still a violent thing that could have been avoided. God could have cleared that land long before the people got there. No, no violence was ever required. And so uh, part of my case that I know that Dale is going to be challenging is that not only does God use violence, but he prefers it. So I, I will conclude with a, an illusion that we are all familiar with. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And it makes me wonder why the Lord so relishes in vengeance. So he's not saying that vengeance is bad. Now, we humans would say revenge is bad. You shouldn't go seeking revenge. But we special plead for God. God likes revenge. He just doesn't want us doing it. He wants to save it for himself. Because that is his nature. He is first and last a violent monster. And we should stop caring about what the Bible says. It takes away the humanity that we have earned over millennia of, of social evolution. We should not go back to this time. Okay, uh, you're done? Or? Yep. Okay, um, so first let me just say thank you very much, David. I, I really appreciated your your case here, the way you laid it up. I've got about five major sections here, um, and I also liked you defining. So gr gratuitous violence is immoral, and that's uh, when there's an imbalance of power. So I think this is a an interesting way to approach the issue. So the first thing I'd like to do um, is just in the first place, it's not true that God relishes the violent solution. Uh, um, I, I disagree entirely with David that it's never an option. But before I get there, um, the Bible does, the Bible is a book of violence. There, there are violent narratives or episodes where God uses violence to achieve his ends. That has to be admitted. Um, however, I think it's also fair that the writers of these narratives um, also portray God as compassionate or merciful, um, even in the violent episodes themselves. So, for example, God waits 400 years before judging the Canaanites and having them slaughtered by the Israelites. Um, and why does he do that? Because the iniquity of, of them was not complete. God withholds. There, there are countless uh, verses that say God is slow to anger. Um, think of Jonah uh, and the Ninevites. God sends Jonah over as an ambassador to get the, the Ninevites to repent so that he doesn't have to enact a violent, um, a violent, a wrathful or violent uh, judgment upon them. And the Ninevites repent, and so God spares them. He rejoices that they they actually listened to his warning and repented, and he didn't have to 
um, go after them. So if you're going to say, yes, you have to be honest here. Yes, the Bible does include narratives where God uses violence to achieve his means. But you also have to acknowledge that the Bible doesn't portray God as some bloodthirsty, uh, violent, relishing, you know, person saying, yeah, yeah, go, go get him. I mean, uh, no, he's slow to anger. He doesn't want to use these if he doesn't have to. Um, so th this takes us into the second part, where responding to actual David's point. God isn't immoral when he uses violence because he doesn't engage in gratuitous violence. Um, and, and David defines that uh, as, okay, well, it's gratuitous whenever there's an imbalance of power. With, if there's an imbalance of power and God is omnipotent, then it's never justified. And this is just complete uh, rubbish um, in the case of God. Because, so, in the first place, um, God, there are circumstances where God doesn't have the power, such as controlling people's free will. I, I, I got to do it. Everyone knows my Molinistic answer, right? God wants to achieve having as many free creatures freely choose to repent and place their faith in God as possible. That's something he can't just snap his fingers and do, at least not without violating our free will or taking our free will away. Um, and, and so God knows through his middle knowledge which set of circumstances are appropriate to achieve the ends of having as many free creatures get saved as possible. Um, but rather than go to so that's that's my ultimate answer everyone knows but but let's look at these so male men against women uh this is never because in general men are stronger than women or something uh, so therefore men are never allowed to use violence i don't think that's true i'm, I'm sorry I, I think that we do sometimes in the in certain circumstances women can be more powerful than a man um, or if you're, if it's in self-defense, I'm allowed to defend myself against a woman who's attacking me or coming at me with a knife. I don't care that you're a woman. I'm going to protect myself. Um, and uh, in terms of cops, they, they are allowed to subdue a woman, even if it's all male cops, uh, that's, you know, about to hurt someone, they're allowed to use force to prevent this person from hurting people. Um, and there's there's a power imbalance there, right? You've got numbers. You've got like five cops on one tackling one person um, to make sure that's safety. That that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, what about adults again using violence against children? Again, this is great. Uh, this is called uh, discipline. Um, and the Bible does have verses. You know, don't the, the person who spares the rod from their their kid. Um, hates their child and that sort of thing. Um, but at the, the same time, don't forget in Colossians chapter 3 or in Ephesians chapter 6, there are verses that clearly say, don't exasperate your children through physical discipline. Um, you know, you, you only use the appropriate measure of discipline to get the point across, but you don't go overboard and that sort of thing where you uh, permanently harm them or, or something like that and it exasperates them it causes a rebellious spirit against authority um, so yeah the Bible itself does say you can use physical violence to discipline your children and that's a good thing I agree with that and so does the Canadian law um, however it's got to be measured and appropriate for the situation and appropriate for the the child involved uh, I don't think 
it's appropriate to use physical violence for every if I put my elbows on the table I don't deserve to be spanked uh, for that I can give be given a timeout or there are other options um, so yeah you measure you uh, give a measured response in regards to the the particular sin that the child has done and with regards to the relevant factors of the child himself um, you know what what sort of thing would cause them emotional harm or whatever um, so yeah I see nothing wrong with using physical violence for serious things to bring across the the message there um, okay the second example um, hell um, and this will go hand in hand with vengeance or God, God's allowed to give vengeance um, so everyone knows my position on hell it's a quarantine zone it is a great idea that God is allowing people to who do not choose to receive the cure from their sin disease to have a place to go, to go where they get what they want total freedom from God's influence and authority you're free to live out your sinful desires as, as you see fit um, as part of the judgment there and the reason God is only God is allowed to do vengeance is because only he is morally perfect and omniscient and omnipotent he's God he he has the proper tools to enact true justice um, my skeptical co-host has laughed at our prison system and said we should just let all the criminals go and have have no prisons why because they're ineffective they don't do they don't serve true justice or the purpose for which they they're um, they're built properly well that's not an issue with God and that's why only God gets to give out dish out the vengeance or dish out the just justice at the end of the world uh, and that's why I, I, I promised David I'd do this uh, so that's why I as a Christian in a way can say I, I hope I long for the days um, when justice will be served at the second coming when when and that as part of that entails that people will be sent to hell so in a in a second indirect way I do hope um, for you guys to go to hell because that will mean that justice is being served creation is being redeemed and restored and that is a good thing um, now obviously I hope that there would be no need for for hell I would hope that everyone would take Jesus up on that free gift that atonement cure um, but sadly we just know from the Bible that's not going to be the case um, so the next one was the so the atonement itself was a means of violence um, so yeah I've covered that in a, a previous show uh, death is the necessary consequence of having this sin disease both physical and spiritual uh, so that's what Jesus needed to do he needed to suffer that punishment to achieve the proper consequences of the ref, reformed character and that sort of thing and then apply it to us so that we could be redeemed uh, so that wasn't gratuitous violence that was necessary violence because that's the necessary consequence of having the sin disease uh, and then finally D God calls us to endure violence um, so in the first place the skeptic says it's wrong it says um, says it wrong we, we don't have to suffer in order to be redeemed we just have to be willing to suffer um, and maybe that's a distinction without a difference for many of you but nonetheless um, yeah there's there's nothing wrong I'm shocked he brings this up as some kind of bad example I mean yeah we have sin sinful people that like to persecute the church and 
for the sake of saving as many souls as possible, I should be willing to undergo that if need be. Um, you know, obviously we don't, I don't think we should seek it out as Natalie Collins said in our, on our show, we'd, I'm not going out hoping someone's going to whip me in the streets and scourge me. Um, I, I prefer to live a nice, comfortable life as I can. Um, so, so much as it doesn't come at the expense of the gospel. If, if it comes down to it, if the Canadian government turns into an authoritarian government and, and outlaws Christianity, then I should be willing to stand for the truth because saving a soul is more important than me being comfortable and being not being persecuted by an evil Canadian government that wants to persecute the church. Um, so yeah, this is just a recognition of reality. Um, human beings act badly at times and we should for the sake of the gospel we should be willing to do that um, so yeah I think I've I think I've covered all of your points is there anything I missed David uh, wow um, what an opening <laughs> <laughs> is good or bad I don't know so, so I'm just going to leave that alone and say uh, no you did fine um, so this is this is where uh, we would normally have a bit of back and forth. I do have, so I've got a page of rebuttals. So this might be a long segment of back and forth. Um, s- some of the rebuttals I uh, had from the article that you wrote, and some are just from the things that you said. And so I want to tackle uh, your your last speech there. Uh, before getting to some of the other stuff. Okay. Uh, so on gratuitous violence, yes, I uh, partly define gratuitous violence as an imbalance of power. Okay. However, that's not the only way I define gratuitous violence. So I, I think that it is uh, a little bit unfair to say that is that is all um, that, that I think gratuitous violence is. Um, I would also say that gratuitous violence uh, maybe the bigger part of gratuitous violence is uh, applying more violence than is absolutely necessary. And I think that's the definition that most people uh, would go with. And that's why an imbalance of power is gratuitous. Because th- it is a situation where uh, someone with obviously more power is, is applying uh, too much violence to a situation. Um, you know, if I hit a child uh, with my fist with all the all the force I have, I'm gonna I'm gonna damage that child. Um, I sh- I should not hit the child. Uh, quite frankly, I don't need to hit the child. I don't need to hit the child at all. Uh, so it so it seems. Well, could I just clarify one quick thing. Sure. Um, so with the imbalance of power, so I hear you. That that makes sense. But with the imbalance of power, then. Uh, would you want to drop that and or qualify that? Because like I gave the example of of cops, there are five people tackling one person. There's obviously an imbalance of power. Yeah, so I'm going to address that. I'm gonna, in fact, I'll address that next. Um, so I'll, I'll jump right to that because I think that's a good example if you're if you're missing the other component of that, which is uh, applying more force than is necessary. I'm a black man in the U.S. Um, there, there are all kinds of crimes that you can be beaten to death for, for being black. You know, walking down the street and being black is a death penalty offense in some places. Uh, 
yeah, this is not me polemicizing. This is me reading yesterday's newspaper. Uh, so, uh, you know, have, police are well-trained, phys- physically fit, well-trained, uh, highly armed, perhaps over overly armed people ready to apply a large amount of violence to uh, what is often small situations. I do believe that the police apply too much violence. And so your, your example of, well, you know, you got uh, all these male policemen being violent with one woman. Well, what is she doing? Is she firing an Uzi? <laughs> right? I mean, because that doesn't, I, it, it doesn't make sense for, to bring down that kind of force on one woman. What's she doing? Shoplifting? That's not a that's not a situation where you should bring that kind of force in the first place. And so I think that part of our problem in this country is that we do uh, apply gratuitous violence in uh, mismatched situations where it simply isn't called for. It's simply not called for. Um, And that's that's why so many of us end up dead uh, for for no good reason. Weren't carrying a gun weren't cursing out the police, <laughs> but, you know, in some situation, you know, in one case, there was a guy selling cigarettes on the street individually because that was his particular hustle. Got uh, beat up and choked out uh, by police. This was a justifiable homicide. This is, uh, so, yeah, I think uh, I accept your example, but I accept it on my side as an example of what I mean. Um, th- that is gratuitous violence, and we do bring too much of it to bear. And when that happens, bad things happen. Once again, it's kind of it's kind of like, you know, a husband saying, "Well, yeah, I hit my wife, but I just slapped her." You know, I didn't I didn't punch her in the face. Um, I applied the right amount of violence because you know she she burnt my meal. That that's 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 obscene. It's it's obscene to think that way. Is it gratuitous? If but if they had an Uzi. Then it's not gratuitous, right? Right. If okay. if they have an Uzi, but then again, if they have an Uzi, you're not going to tackle them. You're you're going to shoot them from a distance. <laughs> you're gonna, yeah. So you're, you're still you're still going to apply the least amount of violence possible there. If they have an Uzi, you're not going to blow them up with a with a bum. That's that's still gratuitous. So um, there's there is always this idea of a measured response when it comes to violence and i think it's a thing that americans do very badly is is that when in in situations when we have to use violence we don't measure the response well at all and the fact that we have to use violence at all is just a failing of the fact that we're humans and sometimes we don't have any other options but good law enforcement requires us to uh, go through Every other option we have before applying violence. The God of the Bible doesn't even do that. Violence is often his first choice. Yeah, okay, so so great. So uh, I'm glad that we've established, because you, you originally said that an imbalance of power, whenever there's an imbalance of power present, there's never justification. So we've falsified that. Okay, well, no, we haven't. No we, ha- no, we have not. If a woman is carrying an Uzi... Uh, there's a balance of power, I promise. <laughs> All right. So it, it, if there's like a whole SWAT team there, I mean, the, I, I still think even with an Uzi, the cops have a strategic 
advantage. There right, I, I understand that, but I'm, I'm saying, you know, a man using violence against a woman, a woman with an Uzi balances that out. <laughs> it, it maybe overbalances that. So, no, you have not, you have not um, in fact, falsified uh, the intent of what I was saying. Um, as, uh, you know, generally speaking, men are bigger, stronger than women, and we don't solve our problems with women by beating them up. Now, it's it's one thing for a man in a bar to get in a bar fight with another man in a bar. I'm actually all for that in a in a sick, perverse kind of way. Uh, as long as it's the kind of dive bar that goes for that sort of thing, right? And so, you know, they've they've got a budget for smash tables and smash glasses. Uh, sure, bar fight away. Go for it. It's it's a it's a fight among equals. Um, there is, it, but it is not. Um, acceptable to punch a woman in the face um, because there is that imbalance. That imbalance exists um, and it would always be wrong. And I think that if you think it's okay to punch a woman in the face in the same ways and for the same reasons that you would punch a man in the face, uh, you are, you are simply wrong about that. And I will let, I will let the um, discussion forum rip yeah, you apart I, over that <laughs> well I, I just think they're idiots if they if they do that that's crazy uh, n- number one first of all there's always a power imbalance even between men where not all men are created equal so i mean you should be against men fighting men unless they're exact you know maybe they should go to the scales i, I am against uh a a bigger man fighting a s- smaller man that's called bullying and i think bullies should die so uh, honestly i <laughs> I, I would I would agree with you there that that's an imbalance that is unfair. Yeah, but if if someone's just a foot shorter but they have muscles, then it, yeah. So like, well, I think I think that we're to... pretty good at knowing where the balances are. Okay. It's it's that's just that we problem. don't we don't apply the balances well, but we know you you get to uh, you know you get two boys in the playground. Uh, they instinctively know uh, where the balances are because when they're when they're trying to pick for their uh, football team or their basketball team, they can clearly see that boy is too little to play with that group right there. And so you've got to play with the other group. The, the, a, a team that is being picked honestly, they would never pick the smaller kid. And it's not just because you know he's going to cause them to lose. It's unfair. It's an imbalance. We know it instinctively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't want to go. I, I just I, I disagree. I, I think it's okay to use violence on a woman in particular circumstances, but I would agree with your second condition. I think you're on safer ground when you say we don't use more violence than what's necessary. If, if a woman's attacking me, um, I'm allowed to defend myself so long as I, I only, you know, I don't go overboard and getting vengeful and like stomp, you know, once she's on the ground, not kicking her or knocking her or something but it's, like it's that. just like a it's just like a crazy kid attacking you if a, if a kid attacks you you don't actually have the right to hit him back you can if you want to stop the kid from attacking you first of all you should try to walk away um and and avoid any kind of uh violent conflict at all if you cannot uh, then you should uh, grab the kid and put him in a hold, a secure hold, yeah. well, that's, so that that's so, so that they cannot that's inflict true. violence. But you you yeah. are in fact not allowed to hit the kid in self defense. I'm pretty sure you would go to jail for that. 
Yeah, because I, I, I think it's unnecessary. You, you can, like, I was considering holding the person, like, any physical contact. I thought you were going to say, oh, that's, that's violence or something. You just have to sit there no, and take... that's, that's not how I, that's not how I define violence. I, I would say that that is a cessation of violence. Okay. Um, well then, yeah, that's fine. Obviously that, if that's an option to you, um, it's the same with it the woman. It is always an option when there's a stronger and weaker, a clearly stronger and weaker party. That's part of my point. Uh, that is, that is why I defined it the way I did. And when you're dealing with a God, let's not forget the, the, the main topic here. That is always an option for God. The only way you would say uh, that God is justified in doing it is to bring out your Molinistic answer and to say that, well, we needed that violence to, to bring about God's ultimate plan. Yeah, I was I was trying to avoid it as long as I could. But um, yeah, that that is how I get the power imbalance, because it's not just about the power. You, Smalley, you guys never get it. It's not about God is not just omnipotent. He's also omnibenevolent. He, there are limits or prerequisites, as Smalley would call them, um, on what it means for God to be omniscient or for God to be omnipotent, right? And in the first place, we, we do agree that it's logically impossible for an omnipotent God to control, a to determine what a free creature's free choice is. Those are logical contradictions. We would agree at least on that, right? Uh, if I understand your meaning, yes. If if a person has free will, then and you and you control them like a puppet, then they don't actually have free will. So if we're if we're talking about libertarian free will, absolutely. Now I don't actually believe in libertarian free will. That's a that's a particular problem for the Christian, not me. Um, but sure, I can see where that would be a problem for you. Gotcha. Well, it's not a problem. It, it's. A helpful thing but okay gr great um so this is a limit on god's power so now it's all about okay well how does if god's main goal is to save as many souls as possible the salvation of a soul entails a free will libertarian free will choice the person has to choose to place their faith in jesus and to repent from their sins and that sort of thing and determine to obey obey god the best they can um, going forward. That's a free will choice that God can't just zap and make someone do. Otherwise, they become a puppet. So given that limitation, God is then forced to go, okay, I, I have my omniscience. I know which circumstances will force, will make, um, not force, will, make, will allow for Dale to choose to be a Christian um, and which circumstances will Dale will not choose to be a Christian. So he's bound by all of our free will decisions and when he's in the context of trying to bring about the maximal good possible good um, in terms of saving as many souls as possible he knows in his omniscience that this is the world this is the world where he used violence against the Canaanites is the world that that brings about that effect the world where he orders Abraham to sacrifice Isaac uh, or floods the earth in the time of Noah. Uh, these are these are the circumstances that allow the the most number of free creatures to freely choose that. And if he had done anything different, if he had changed one of those circumstances, then he would know that that would that maximal result would not come about. It would be less. Um, 
so that's why this this answer suggested as an equal possibility will always defeat this thing and i i know i know you guys don't like it because it, oh but it's unfalsifiable yeah that's that's not my problem I, i'm not making a claim when i do this i'm i'm on the defense uh so yeah that's that's what i wanted to say there on the molinism thing yeah so i um have said uh, that i simply will not address the molinistic um answer <laughs> because yeah. it's 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 a waste of time so i will uh i will speak directly uh to the audience when i say that if if that's the god that um that we're talking about there's there's no need to trust this god for anything if 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 his best world means that uh the violence has to be visited uh i don't trust this god to choose a best world for me um your mileage may vary on the on the subject of uh, you did, uh, let me let me just make sure I've cleared my notes here for that. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I never said that uh, all prisoners should be let go. We've had discussions about the the justice system, but you have grossly misrepresented uh, what I've said there. I do think the justice system is foobar, but to to suggest that you know my solution is that all criminals should be released on the street that's that's a mischaracterization of everything that I've said and believe. So, uh, without, without going further into that conversation, um, uh, I just wanted to make that note there. Uh, why should we suffer for the cause? So you talk about, um, you know, it's a good thing if you suffer and you're kind of defending the Bible when it says it's good if you suffer, uh, for Jesus, but why is that good? Why is suffering? Why would suffering ever bring about a good for the kingdom. This is this is a part of the twisted um, economics of the kingdom of God. That suffering is somehow good, and it brings a positive result. So so much so that if you're in a situation and you could suffer less, you actually should suffer more. Hebrew, Hebrews eleven talks about. Um, uh, see, it's in the passage. I can't remember exactly what number it is, but uh, it's in the passage where it says, "And the women uh, received back their dead, and uh, they uh, uh, suffered and refused to be let free in order to obtain a greater resurrection." This is how biblical writers think that suffering is better than not suffering. It's not just something that might happen to you on occasion, that it's better. I would further ask why God does not protect you from suffering. Why does he want you to suffer for him? He was supposed to suffer for you. What the heck are we suffering for him for? Um, I don't I don't understand uh, that at all. God, in fact, could do more to protect us from suffering. Let me let me just get this out. I don't have kids, neither do you. So we, you know, it's always always makes me a little uncomfortable when I use examples about kids. But if I had kids, and there was a local bully beating up my kid, I wouldn't sit around long suffering while the bully beat up my kid for eighteen years, and then after eighteen years, I then I shoot him. That's that's the kind of example you give with the Canaanites. Well, you know, God God um, let these people do all this violence for 400 years, and then when it finally got bad enough, then he shot him. What? That's ridiculous. I would stop the bully immediately, if not the first time, the second time for sure. I would do something about it. I would prepare my kids so that they were able to defend themselves. I would call in the parents of the bully. I would call the police. 
I would do anything within my power to stop my kids from that kind of suffering. I would not celebrate it as if they were doing something to bring me glory. Yeah, well, I, th I think you should if there's a good end, like saving a soul. So, for example, Paul, I, I'm looking, I, I couldn't find what you were talking about in Hebrews 11, so I, I'm not sure it, it says that. You want, you want me to get it for you? Go ahead yeah, and talk. I'll get it for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I see the part about the women receive their dead, but okay, so Paul, for example, when he went to Caesarea, uh, Philip the elder um, warned him, don't go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you and do a bunch of bad stuff to you. Um, Paul, instead of going, okay, I'm out of here, uh, I'm off back to Rome now to go to my trip to Spain, um, he went to Jerusalem anyways in the full knowledge that he would very probably be arrested and, and killed by the, the Jews there. Um, was that a good thing? Yes, it was. Why? Because of the reason he was going. He was going for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others that might convert based on hearing his preaching um, and that sort of thing, and or strengthening the Christian church in Jerusalem through his financial gift, which in turn would lead to other um, souls potentially being saved. Um, well, he could have saved okay. souls by going somewhere where he wouldn't be killed. So, I mean, the, the, the idea that uh, people have told you, if you come here and preach this, we're going to kill you. Then the Christian says, oh, great, I can suffer for the cause of Christ. I'll go there, as if they have no other options. This is, that, this is the story of that kid who was killed by those natives in India. I can't remember his name exactly. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. This, there was a big keep out sign, and he's like, oh, no, the cause of Christ can be expanded here. Fool! But it's not... But, okay, it's a historical fact that the, the cult of the martyrs attracted pagans. They, they, they were like, what is up with these people? And okay, it, but I, don't, it, I refuse to believe that that's the only thing that could have attracted people. So, by the way, if you're attracted uh, by cult of the martyrs, you're, you're messed up. But then the pagans were messed up. They were sinful. I mean, my gosh. But they're still messed up. If you're, if you're attracted to a thing where there are martyrs, uh, you know, willingly dying for a cause that they don't have to die for, you are messed up and your cause is messed up. That is not a, that, that is not a selling point. Christianity is screwed. It is a cult. You should not. You you should in fact recognize that there is something wrong with it, because it is a, it is a thing that people used death for as a as a tool for evangelism. And what you're describing of Paul is the same situation as this kid. Uh, please remind me of his name if you remember it. Um, in India, it was stupid for the kid, and it was stupid for Paul. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. It is stupid. The, the kid. The kid died much. stupidly. He died stupidly. I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking about Paul. Right Paul now. lived stupidly. Paul? Okay, no, he didn't. He lived wisely. You're special pleading then for Paul because Paul, it's the, it's the I'm, same I'm, thing. It, no, there there were other Christians that I I think Perpetua died wisely, um, and she provided an example that inspired pagans to take an, a keen interest in the Christian message. It, it is an example that no sane person should follow. 
These are not wise deaths. These are stupid deaths. And if your God is calling you to walk into death to, to spread his message, your God is a freaking monster. Well, it's, it's not that you go in gleefully looking. Like, I, I'm not out there seeking to die. But if, it, if an opportunity came up, like da- the David Smalley thing, I, I get that I'm not dying, but I, me and you had plenty of private conversations where you were warning me of, you know, your answers are controversial. Think of this could backfire on you and that sort of thing, right? And I was, I was trying it, to protect you. Yeah, no, that's, I'm not cutting you up for that. I'm, I'm, but I'm using this as an example to say, I freely chose, and I said, I, I think, to the best of my knowledge as a human being, that the better thing would be to risk that, to, to go on, um, preach this message, because mem- remember I even asked you, is this worth dying over? And you convinced me, and I said you were right, that this is an essential doctrine. It, it's, it speaks to the heart of what it means to have saving faith in God, to trust God, even to the point where you'll obey him when you don't even know all the reasons as to why you're doing what he's commanding you to do. Um, so I felt this was an example where I would, I'll take that risk. I, I It could blow up in my face. My life could be ruined. Maybe I'll never get another job or something like that, or maybe it's, it's exaggerating, but it's worth the risk for this, this truth to sacrifice myself if it comes down to it so i as a human being i i assess the pros and cons and rather than saying no i'm just not going to go on and i'll I'll stay safe on on our show with a small audience and that sort of thing um to me it, it made more sense with my human judgment to no let's get out to that large audience and present this okay i i i i take your point but i think that my point uh will resonate with Hearer, listeners, I hope that there shouldn't be situations where God is calling you to sacrifice yourself for him. That's very backward. How um, do you prevent that, though? So let, let's say there is a bunch of Terras in, in Smalley's audience. Like, are, are you saying God should zap well, those? I'm not, those I'm not talking about your particular situation. I am, I am talking about uh, situations where you have to go into dangerous territories to preach some gospel. If, if if that's the only way for the gospel to be spread, then God is literally uh, setting up people to die for his message. And that is, uh, what I'm saying is, that is a bad, stupid, immoral death. God doesn't need you to die. He, he, could, he could spread his message other ways. How do you know that? Though? Well, like, because you... sane people today uh, find other ways to spread his message. Insane people go to islands and get shot up with arrows. No, but back. But I'm saying back in back in time, the circum given those circumstances of being in the Roman Empire, filled with these evil pagans and that sort of thing and their rituals. Um, how do you know that? Oh, it would have been better if they just stayed in. They just stayed in Galilee and just preached from there and. And that sort of thing. Like, I, I don't see how you would know. It, it could have been even more dangerous. The, the authorities might have heard about it. Uh, and then, oh, they're all centralized here and they're safe in their safe space. Let's slaughter them. And, oops, Christianity's done. Um, yeah, it wouldn't have been the worst thing that ever happened. But, uh, yeah, I don't know that that could have that that, I, that could have been the case. 
But the fact that God set up a scenario where people would have to make that decision and and sacrifice themselves for his message is stupid because God has other ways of disseminating his message. God does not need humans to do that. There is, there is zero scenario where God needs you to sacrifice home and wife and kids and job uh, to, to work for him. You're, you are superfluous. He is all-powerful. Okay, so, yeah, I, I have to rely on it then. But, but that's my Molinistic answer is no, he does have to um, do it in exactly the way he, he did it. Sometimes he intervenes directly. Um, other times he uses human beings as agents or instruments to preach his message or, you know, be a prophet or, or right. whatever. Right, I understand that. But besides your magic Molinistic wand, there is no reasonable um, uh, explanation for why an all-powerful God needs a human to do anything for him. Let me let me try this then. Um, rather than getting wrapped up in the thing... Can you can't you conceive that there could be a reason as to why an omniscient God would know better that yeah using Paul going into uh, dangerous lands in Greece or that sort of thing um, would be necessary to no as I as I just said I can't conceive of a situation where it would be better. So you're asking me if I could conceive that God would know of a situation. No, I don't think there is such a situation. I can't conceive of that. It would be like me needing a baby to do something for me. I don't need a baby to do anything for me ever. I cannot conceive of tasking a baby to do something for me. It's a stupid idea. So no, I can't conceive of it. Okay, so that yeah, that that's where our fundamental difference comes in, then, uh, as it is for everyone, right? It, that that's why I say it's not gratuitous. Uh, this is why you think it is gratuitous. God could have just snapped his fingers, and people would have been converting on mass or that sort of thing, um, and no need for them to go into danger or I don't know. Maybe you maybe you'd have Paul put in a little protective bubble or something like that as he's going out and preaching. Well, why wouldn't God protect his people? I, I don't understand. I don't understand the Christian's objection to this point. Why God has the ability to protect His people? If they're right. out giving the message of God to people, God could choose to protect them. Instead, right. we've got this culture of no. We, they must die violently for me. Well, no, it's not that they must. God, first of all, the Bible does. God does do that, right? I mean, He lets the apostles out of prison once. Um, Okay. Paul's in prison. He, he lets them out of prison so that they can be crucified upside down. Good yeah, deal. No, That's fantastic. Saying, yeah, right. No, but I'm saying so there are times where God employs quote unquote protective bubble measures um, and intervenes, and there are other times where he doesn't. Why is that? For you, the Bible's just a made up story. Why, yeah, why so don't the Bible? There is never an opportunity where they shouldn't be protected. Uh, once again, I don't. I don't. I cannot conceive of why a person needs to die for an all-powerful God, even if God is using them to spread the message. If, if God wanted them to spread the message in dangerous places, he can protect them and go to dangerous places. They don't have to die by the thousands. 
Not right. one of them has to be eaten in a lion's den. So no, you can you can give me not. the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how God saved those three from the you know from the fire. But what about all those who weren't saved? There's no right. reason so, for that. No, no, but there there is right. But there is and for that's you. Where, that's where we're butting heads. So I'm I'm trying to evoke a conception within you without going to the dead end of oh well I disagree because Molinism right. I'm trying to see if I can evoke a conception in your mind. So mm-hmm. so I'm saying uh, from the perspective of the biblical writers when they wrote down God intervenes here and 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 not in here. What do you think? their conception was why why do you think you know you you play all oh, my molinism all that's headcanon so what what was going through the biblical writers minds How i have no just... idea i think it's oh, a okay. stupid story uh i'll give you an example of a stupid story um i don't know where it is i'd have to hunt it down but i think the listeners would be familiar with it it's where um you know god's people they were you know his armies were in a war as they always were um and this is one battle they couldn't beat because the enemies had iron chariots. What? What? <laughs> why why should anyone die because the enemy had iron chariots? <laughs> this is this is God's army. So you ask me, you know, why why does why did God choose that army? Why would God uh you know, a- allow them to have uh, lesser technology? Why um you know, I have no idea. It it makes absolutely no sense to me. I I can't headcanon a reason for that. Okay. Um. Just just uh, so we don't lose it entirely, uh, the verse you were looking for is thirty five. Women received their dead uh, relatives. Uh, uh, sorry, received their dead relatives raised back to life. Others were tortured and refused to accept their freedom so they could be raised from the dead to a better life. To a better resurrection. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so that that's sort of hinting at they, they will receive their rewards better. They'll receive better rewards. Yeah, but the, the key is they refused. Uh, they refused to be released when they had an option to be released. What you were saying is, oh no, no one would seek this out if they had another option. And what I'm saying is, actually, no, that's not how the Bible puts it at all. Um, These people had an option. They refused their freedom so that they could receive a better resurrection and continue that torture. Crank it up even more! You call that an Iron Maiden? Is that the best you can do? I imagine well, the they're way taunting. I read it, though, is they, in their human judgment, they were assessing that this was the best way. In the same way, I made the decision to go on to the David Smalley show. That's what they're doing here. Okay, but they're, why would it be saying, the best way? What is the circumstance where that's the best way? <laughs> you... Because of the the message it would send. Like, hey, we're we're willing the to go to death. Message it sends is they are bat shit crazy. That's the message. I don't but know. It, it wasn't. It wasn't interpreted that way at okay, the time. Well, I interpret it, it that way now. And don't I count for something? Consideration under Molinism, right? So, yeah, you you could bring into okay. Well, maybe it was effective uh, persuasion tactic back in the ancient Roman days. But look at all the atheists who are are looking at that behavior and saying, "Oh, the heck with this now." Um, 
and again, it, it just comes down to that Molinistic answer. God knows everything from past, present, and future, all of the relevant factors and all of the the outcomes. Um, yeah, like you're, you're sort of forcing me. The, the difference comes with this Molinistic thing. And if I'm trying to limit my use of that, I don't know how to how to go about answering it. Um, all right. Well, I tell you what. Yeah. Let's 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 park that. Let me just let me look through my list of um, rebuttals of things that we haven't talked about uh, yet, because I, th I think there is. Well, thank the, you. Yes, there's there's one or two <laughs> that we haven't gotten to. Um, okay, so I mentioned uh, earlier uh, that God could have driven out the people from the land uh, without the use of violence. Uh, you don't send emissaries with swords. That's not an emissary. That's that's just a vanguard. Um, so uh, there were there were plenty of nonviolent options if God wanted people to leave the land. He could have, for instance, made all of the vegetation poisonous. Um, the people would have had to leave. They would have walked to the next piece of land where the vegetation uh, wasn't poisonous or where it grew. You know, it didn't even have to be poisonous. It didn't have to kill anyone. It didn't have to give anyone a stomach ache. It just could have been that all the vegetation dies there. Okay. All the animals die there, and so they have to leave. Then God's people go in, and then everything grows back. Simple. No one, no one had to be forced out by violence. Wrong. God. Well, you, oh, sorry. Yeah, I well, I mean, if you're going, if you're going to Molinism, you can save it. I mean, no, no, not oh, even okay. Molinism. All right, go go ahead then. I, it's be... Basic common sense. Okay. okay, so their entire peoples move out undiminished, undamaged, or anything like that. Yes. Then the Israelites move in. Everything goes back to normal. It's all good. What prevents the Canaanites from going to war and trying to reconquer their land? Any any number of non-violent solutions that God had at his disposal. He, he could have made it so that if an enemy tried to enter that land with an ill intent, his foot falls off. Um, that, you know, it, it, I mean, no, that's that's a little bit violent. I I understand, but <laughs> right, they could have. It could have been a force field. It could have been they entered. They they step one foot in that land with a sword in their hand, and boom, they find themselves right back in their house. It, you know, the, you say, well, this is science fiction uh, nonsense, but the Bible is full of science fiction nonsense. So yeah, no, that's fine. That, yes, he could have done that. That's not. What would have happened though? So what would have happened to the Israelites if they were in a protective bubble like that, um, and nothing could have happened to them? Would they have become prideful and arrogant so that there wasn't even a righteous remnant, and therefore they stopped obeying God entirely and, and just followed pagan gods because nothing could ever? I mean, that the Bible itself, God uses the the nations as a judgment to as a corrective judgment. For the people of Israel, whenever they start following pagan pagan idols or straying from the path of righteousness, God uses that as judgment against them. Okay, so we're back to Bolinism, uh, right? Which I which I don't feel obliged to address uh, because, sure, well, you know, but maybe they would have become bad. Maybe I can I, I can just counter that by saying it would have become well known throughout the land that you cannot attack God's people. That God's people have uh, protection around them, and it's the kind of protection that you can see and feel every day. And so God's people would have never. Uh, in fact, forgotten how God was protecting them because they could see it every day. But let me switch around then. Let me ask you this. Because, okay, so you claim Molinism is ridiculous. No, the vast majority of Christians are all against me on my answer with Molinism, blah, blah, blah. 
What? Uh, I'm going to recruit you as uh, David the Christian then. What other answers have you heard Christians to this protect, pretend that you give this wall, he could have put a protective bubble around them. Uh, what are the other answers that Christians have provided to that? I don't know any. This is why I'm not a Christian. <laughs> so th this is, you, this is, but any, no, <laughs> this oh. is, this is me answering as David as a Christian. It is an in, intractable problem for the Christian. Okay. Well then if that's the case, uh, then geez, I guess everyone truly, whether they know the terminology or not, Molinism is according to David, the only game in town. And I, I actually fall. kind of, I kind of agree with that though. Uh, so I think that Christians would disagree with the with your application uh, of it, but I think they're being a little bit cowardice and dishonest. In in the book, still unbelievable. Uh, when I wrote about uh, this very thing, I I um, offered that the worst excuse that Christians give when they're out of excuses for all the bad things that happen in the world is reasons. God has his reasons. And with that, they have thrown up their hands and given up. They don't know what the reasons are. They stop trying to figure it out. They just decide God has his reasons and it must be good. That is simply a restatement of what Molinism is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's what they are. They're hinting at the answer I'm giving. I, I, um, I agree, but I, I, ex I excoriate them for that. I left largely because of that, because what your, um, uh, what you call Molinism and what I call reasons is really just special pleading. It, it, it is special pleading writ large. And when all of your uh, defenses for Christianity come down to really bad, obvious special pleading, you should get out. You should be honest that you don't have anything at that point. You should get out. I did. It's not special pleading, though. It applies to everyone. Uh, if we had the knowledge that God had, we could we could do that too, and we we do to a limited degree. Sometimes we have special. You, you're knowledge you're still that. assuming that God has this knowledge. I mean, you haven't you haven't actually established any of that. Um, I know that at some point we are going to go through the ontological argument and you're going to try to establish it. But it, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's never been established. You're just special pleading. Well, that's that's not special pleading. It it's is special saying pleading. I don't have warrant in believing one of the premises is true, that God exists uh, in the first place. Well, but I could accept that God exists and still not accept that he's omniscient. So oh, you yeah. you are in fact special pleading. Um, I'm I'm familiar with the philosophy. I'm also familiar with the um, ontological argument. I'm I'm happy to do that with you sometime. Um, but yeah, I I hold firm to my accusation that it is special pleading because you have not in fact established uh, the special circumstances that would keep it from being special pleading. It's, it's not so special pleading is an argument in which the speaker deliberately ignores aspects that are unfavorable to their point of view. I'm not deliberately ignoring anything. I've got proof that God exists and that he's omniscient um, and that sort of thing. I've Maybe got, one of these shows you will provide that proof, but yeah. it hasn't been done yet. Yeah, but so you can't you can't. It's not appropriate to this conversation. We're coming at it. It's 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 like me saying you're a special pleading because you're assuming God doesn't have omniscience or something no we're, that's not part of the argument you're just saying you're just saying your beliefs you don't believe god is omniscient so therefore my well, i'm saying that it hasn't been established sure then it hasn't been established that he 
uh, doesn't. And since you're the one making the claim here that God is engaging in gratuitous violence, you have to prove that he doesn't have omniscience, even if he exists. So I'm going to cut that off right there because that's that that just takes us back into the same yeah. Uh, yeah. circle of nowhere. Um, so we're yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not going to go there. Let's no, no let, let me ask this though. The, sorry, and we can move on, but out of curiosity, um, do you think that there are arguments that you can show God is not omniscient? Yes. Okay, great. I I, okay. I I believe that I have done that on programs past, but I will be glad to uh, resurrect those arguments some more. But yes, there are arguments where it makes more sense of the text that God is not omniscient. Now, what you have said in the past is, well, maybe those texts look like that, but that's, it, just because God did something or asked for something doesn't mean that he didn't already know it in advance. Gotcha. You're, you're talking about, okay, from the, an argument from the Bible itself. Right. Or okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's valid. So, great. When we get to that, uh, we'll discuss that because we have a show on the coherence of Christian theism, uh, and eventually I'll be getting to his omnipotence, omniscience, and omnibenevolence. So, yep. yeah, we'll discuss that there. Looking, looking forward to it. Um, you know, until then, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty well justified in saying those things that you are assuming have not been established. Uh, perfectly happy for you to establish them if you can. Okay, I, and I will, <laughs> um, and I, I think I have. <laughs> um, okay, uh, what else? All right, so yeah, I've got a, I've got a, I got a couple other, couple other things here. Um, the oh yeah, so in your write-up, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this in uh, in your speech earlier. Uh, the single example of uh, where God sends an ambassador, Jonah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, the. the the ambassador's message is turn or burn. <laughs> this is still violence. This is not, um, you know, it's it's a little bit like saying, uh, you know, God God told the Israelites to drive out the people, and then if they wouldn't leave, to destroy them. That's that's still just a turn or burn message where violence is the ultimate part. So the people said, okay, well, we don't want the violence. <laughs> we'll repent. <laughs> so, but that's not an example of God being nonviolent. Uh, in my opinion, uh, that's not God giving a p- people a chance to exercise their freedom without violence as a threat. That that is just the opposite. So I I reject that example. Well, it's a threat, uh, but it's not violence. Oh, uh, but it's a threat of violence. <laughs> okay. It's a threat of violence, sure. Um, but that's the reason I put this in here is because the way you wrote your blog is you seem to be saying that God only chooses violence or prefers violence. And I was saying, no, he doesn't. He, if he preferred violence, he just would have wiped out the Ninevites. Oh, you're, you guys are a bunch of sin, um, sinners, so adios. Um, he wouldn't have bothered sending Jonah or giving them a chance. Um, so that was the context of which I was putting this. Um, so if you're going to qualify that and say, well, it, it should never be an option, that's that's different than what I was responding to in the blogs. Um, I thought you were saying that is the only option and or the top option that God wants to do. And okay, but this. it is it is the top option. Uh, turn or burn. There's burn. That's the option. So turn. That's the order. Or burn. That's the option. There's no other option. 
No, but turn or burn, is, there are two options to take. Um, he wouldn't, if he had liked violence, he wouldn't have offered that option. There would be no turn. There would just be burn. Um, that's my point. If that's the preferred option, if God just relishes violence, he'd be like, yes, they're sinning. All right, go burn. Um, but he didn't. He sent Jonah to them. He gave them that choice to turn or burn. Uh, okay. I, for, for the sake of the fact that I think that your point is very weak there, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm losing any points there. I'm just gonna, I'll let you have the last word on that. Um, what is weak about it though? Like, I think why? it's, I think it's terribly weak when you're, when you're, uh, when you're saying you have an option, you can do exactly what I tell you, or you can die horribly. That's not really an option. So if if you're offering that as an example of how merciful your God is, I think you are making my point better than you're making yours. Okay. And uh, I, I'm, I, I'm perfectly willing to allow you to do that. Sure, yeah, I would point to this as God is being merciful. He's warning them up front as to the necessary consequences of their, their sinful behavior. So, yeah, get on you, God. You know, thank you okay. <laughs> on behalf of the Ninevites. See, I, I, this is the kinder and gentler me not tearing into you further on that. <laughs> so, Fair enough. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, my the last point that I think that we should have some conversation about is you you think that God's uh, stance toward children, violence in children, is a good thing. And I actually think that violence, God's idea of how children should be raised, is one of the worst points against God and shows uh, how violent this God of the Bible is and, and just how the people who wrote the Bible thought. It, it shows a certain mindset here. So um, you talk about uh, corporal punishment. First of all, I think that you are out of your mind for voluntarily stepping up and becoming the poster child for beating your kids. Um, that's just an unnecessary thing. You are, you are taking that on unnecessarily. Even if I can't show absolutely that spanking your kids is going to turn them into serial killers, no one should take the opposite view that, therefore, it's okay to beat your kids. I, I don't know why you would do that, except that the Bible, your Bible tells you that it's okay. Now, I'm, I'm thinking if your Bible didn't tell you it was okay, you probably wouldn't take that position. So the, the only reason someone would take that position is because they have some kind of theological bent that God says it's okay and you should do it. So I, I think that as a starting point, we should examine whether we should trust God's intuition uh, and how we should uh, punish our kids. Before I go further, I heard you trying to step in there. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was. I was gonna. Yeah, I was just objecting to something. Okay, well, jump heard, jump right? in if you um, if you remember it. Um, huh? Jump in if you remember what you were gonna say. Um. Was yeah, it so I, was it about beating your kids? You didn't like the way. Is that what you didn't like? Yeah, I'm not a poster boy for beating. And, and also, I brought it up because you brought it up in your blog. You mentioned it as one of the examples. So I, I was just trying to focus on something 
something new that we hadn't um yeah but of all the things to pick and champion that's that's just a bad one so i just i want to it, it leaves the door open for me to go after this god's uh moral intuition when it comes to kids uh to to know whether when he says spare the rod and spoil the child is is a wise thing well we can we can examine some of the other ways uh that he thinks um kids should be punished he thinks that uh kids who uh speak disrespectfully to their parents should be put to death uh you know a, a kid that says i hate you boy there must not have been any kids uh back in that time either that or everyone just ignored the order from the beginning because you know what kids say things at certain ages they they say things <laughs> that are disrespectful and hurtful the solution is never Take them to the edge of the edge of the city and stone them to death. Have the uh, elders of the city stone them to death. That is never the right answer. It's not the right answer for our culture. It's not the right answer for the culture in Namibia. It's not the right answer for our time. It's not the right answer for 4,000 years ago. It is always and every time the wrong answer. And yet that is the intuition of the God of the Bible writers uh, the, the biographers of the God of the Bible to have him say, yeah, you're, you got bad kids, kill them. That's the punishment. That's the punishment. One other, because my, my favorite one is actually um, Deuteronomy 13. Let me just read that. Um, that's a long paragraph too, but uh, I'll start at verse six because uh, it's, it's fun. Um Someone might try to lead you to serve other gods. It might be your brother, your son, or your daughter, the wife you love, or a close friend. The person might say, let's go and worship other gods. Uh, These are gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known. Gods are the people who lived around you, either nearby or away from uh, the end of the land to the other. Do not, verse 8, do not give in to such people. Do not listen. (laughs) So much for open-mindedness. Do not listen or feel sorry for them. (laughs) Shut off your human emotions. And do not let them go free. (laughs) Grab them. (laughs) Uh, Do not protect them. You must put them to death. And yes, we're talking about you. You must be the first one to start to kill them. This is how the Bible describes it. And then everyone else must join in. You must throw stones until they die. I'll stop reading there. This is this is comically bad. This is this is God's moral intuition in the in the high crime. Someone said, "Hey, have you tried Hinduism?" <laughs> so, you know, um, I'm sorry. Um, when when this God says, spare the rod and spoil the child, screw that guy. <laughs> he clearly does not know anything about the right thing to do uh, when it comes to raising kids or the, the, you know, metering out the right kind of punishment for the crime. You know, maybe the kid mouths off at you you ground them for the weekend. Nope. Yeah, kill them. Back to you, Dale. <laughs> okay, so so there's two issues then. So I'll deal with the killing thing because, again, this 
actually no this is exactly the right thing to do 4000 years ago in those circumstances and it's not just talking about little kids it's talking about grown-ups that are actually enticing people's souls secretly treasonous trying to get them to turn to other gods away from the god of Israel um to but worship that that, that is the mysterious uh, violation. Wait a so, minute. These people are just exploring the options that are available to make sure that they've got the right God and the right solution. I mean, you're open-minded, right? You're a true seeker. Not if I have 100% knowledge like they did that the God of the Bible oh, is real. Oh, okay. So they didn't need to be true seekers. Okay. Special pleading. Go ahead. Sorry for the interruption. It's not special pleading. Did, does the story, did they or did they not see God talking with Moses directly and see the uh, the Red Sea splitting. They got the miracles that you claim you always wanted to see, right? So, yeah, the, these people, it's being openly rebellious. And well, other gods were doing things like that, too. I mean, they they would have heard those stories and been familiar with them. So, yeah, I don't I don't see how that changes the, the uh, equation. Yeah, well, they would have had knowledge that those gods are false how gods. would they have had knowledge all they would have had knowledge of is that uh, the god that moses talked to had some power but the god that other people worship had power too so why why wouldn't they be able to seek and explore that because they would know um from god communicating with them that this is that he is the one true God, the one God that deserves to be worshipped. Okay, God. well, I don't, I don't think they would know that. I mean, they would know that they've got a God who is blustery and says, "Worship me only, or I'll kill you." But other gods said the same kinds of stuff. Other gods uh, had did miracles, and uh, other gods. I mean, there was what distinguished this God from those gods that they couldn't be real seekers and consider them like you can today. Yeah, well, back then they knew that God, the God of the Bible, was correct. So and that those it's, other gods. It's really false. circular, and um, and so that I mean that's just not an arc. I keep trying to get you to see that circular argument, and you're not really getting it. So I will I will leave it there, and again, leave it to the commenters to to take that further go ahead uh yeah, it's different it was different circumstances back then which provided them with knowledge that we don't necessarily have today um so that's that's the difference um in terms of them but yeah the second the second aspect uh in terms of not killing your kids but disciplining them with um corporal with uh, physical punishment um, yeah, I see nothing problematic about that at all. I myself was spanked on occasion when I was growing up as well. It, it's a good thing that you're making my you're making my case for me. Go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. I I, I, I totally agree that the Bible says this. Spank I'm your not... kids and make them like Dale. <laughs> I'm gonna make a poster. Oh, okay, I didn't. I didn't yeah, yeah, very funny. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, you're you're holding yourself up as an example. You know, you you were you were beaten, and you're perfectly normal. I would say that you know there are some things that. Uh, I mean, you're polite. I'll give you that. <laughs> but, but I don't. I don't know that I would hold you up as an example for. This is how you want your kids to turn out. Okay. Well, and why? Why is that? 
I don't know that I want to get, feel comfortable going much further than that, but I think it's a, a pretty arrogant thing to say, hey, look at me. I'm the model of how kids should turn out. You've got some pretty wild-eyed beliefs that, that I think so are, would, be pretty, would be pretty dangerous if lots of people held. Now, for all I know, the, you feel the way you feel about violence is because you were treated with violence. I wasn't treated with violence, though. Well, yeah, was... But you were, you were, you were physically beaten as a kid. I know we we. Well, I know we call it spanking, and so that means we don't have to call it physically beating. But yeah, so, so, so the, I don't, I don't care about the euphemism there. You were physically beaten as a kid, and you feel like it's okay. Uh, yeah, so I, right. I so I don't. Fine. Okay. I'm not a shining model of humanity, but I'm. I'm fine. Well, maybe I'm, we I, could make more yeah. shining models of humanity if we stopped beating our kids. There's just, no just evidence a thought. for that. And I would say that the evidence is the opposite with all these spoiled social justice warrior types out in the world. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I don't think... The Bible tells us um, physical punishment uh, can be a good thing, uh, but it has to be a measured response. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6 tell us that you shouldn't use physical violence um, for every little thing to the point where it exasperates your child. Okay, I understand that you're saying that the Bible says measured response and, you know, don't don't beat them to death, but you are not addressing the points where the Bible says beat them to death. So I, I all, all that is is you're saying it says two things. The fact that it says beat them to death even once pretty much uh, allows you to close the book on the rest of it. No, but I, I already addressed that. Those aren't for little kids. Those are for big kids that are uh, rebelling against the state. They're doing acts of treason against the God of Israel. Um, when it comes to little kids with the rod, that's that's not killing them. Um, it's just giving them appropriate physical punishment so that they will stop the behavior. Maybe they maybe they say I I hate you in the way that you said it, not a rebellious true statement that a an older child, like a teenager or something, or an 18-year-old would say. And a, um, a teenager is a kid. A teenager is not a toddler, but a teenager is a kid. And you often hear this from 12, 13, 14-year-olds uh, when we hit adolescence and puberty. So don't don't give me, oh, but they were, we're talking about actual adults here. No, we're talking about your children. Well... Yeah, Let, so let's stop I, the equivocating. That's equivocation. No, but I, I think, okay, fine. Even 12 or 13-year-olds, I, I know 12 or 13-year-olds that have murdered people. They deserve to be punished. Um, right, but the, but the Bible, when it says to take them to the edge of the city and have the elders put them to death, is not talking about uh, murderers. Yeah, but it's talking about even worse. It's talking about treasonous people. No, so that's a a separate passage uh, there. So I I read you the one. Now, I find it interesting that you think that proposing another god is treasonous, worthy of death, um, which, which once again, is a moral intuition that has no contact with mine. But the other passage, the one that I alluded to first, I'll read it to you if you like, because I know that Christians do not read their Bibles. You are studying your Bible. You're getting there. I know that. But a lot of Christians don't know this stuff is there. Was not talking about treason or any such thing. The Deuteronomy 6, uh, the Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, 1. Yeah, not, yeah but that's not, the, that's, that's not the... So, yes, you can say that that one is. I still dispute that. But the other... I mentioned two places... And the other one is not. 
What's the other one that you mentioned? Uh, I will look it up for you. You go ahead and keep talking. Uh, okay, so so yeah, so just to get away from the killing thing while he's looking that up, the point is in the non-killing thing, it, it's fine. But the important point I want to make sure here is mentioned is that it's a measured response. I wasn't, I was spanked probably three or three or four times in my entire life total. Uh, it wasn't just oh I put my elbows on the table you're getting whacked you know you're getting spanked or something. Um, it was a measured response. I, I was mostly grounded or I wouldn't be able to watch TV for a week or something like that. Um, obviously there are different forms of punishments that are appropriate for the type of sin uh, that the person does um, and appropriate for the person. Some people are more sensitive than others so it would you know you have to take those factors into account. Um, but yeah, um, I think when there's a certain severity or, or if it's a repeat offense or that sort of thing, you need to also have the additional option to use spanking or something like that. Deuteronomy, that De Deuteronomy 21, uh, 18, um, and following, if someone has a stubborn or rebellious son who does not obey his father or mother and will not listen to them when they discipline them, his father and mother should take hold of him, bring him uh, to the elders at the gate of the town, and they shall say to the elders, son of ours is stubborn, rebellious, he will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of the town, and you know what all of the men of the town will do. So well, That, that uh, proves my point even better than the last one. He's, he's openly rebellious against authorities. All kids are openly rebellious at some age. You're, you're just, you're, you're not thinking humanly here. Every one of them, including me at some point, was openly rebellious at some age. In fact, I would say that it is a um, evolutionary necessity. Uh, I don't think back then you're not taking into effect their culture. It wasn't they didn't have well, I am taking into their culture. I am saying that their culture was evil and backward, and this Bible is celebrating that culture that is evil and backward, and you should not pay attention to it. So I, I, I so am. It's, it's, it's an act of open rebellion where you're not obeying the authority, and it's, it's meant this is a severe case. It's not just, oh, you one time talk back to your dad or something like that, and Therefore, they'll take you out. Okay. All, all children have a pattern of open rebellious. This is, this is a part of how we grow Shh. up. It's, it is Shh. a natural thing. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's got to be, it can't be out of normal context. I mean, it, if what you're, what you're saying is true, sure, I can agree with that. Um, and obviously the Israelites did, even the ones reading this book. Otherwise, the Israelites would have died out in one generation. All of their kids would have been stoned to death because every kid will... You know, okay, so tell me, what what occasion do you think uh, the, this death penalty should have been enacted? The, the example given is glutton and drunkard. Well, I don't I don't know how old kids tend to be when they start drinking or experimenting with drugs, but I don't I don't know very many kids that haven't been gluttons. <laughs> they're, they're greedy little monsters, and they will eat you out of house and home if you let them. I don't know why people keep having kids, <laughs> quite frankly, but th they are. Um, they are crumb snatchers. This is why we use terms like that. They're awful little creatures. Um, of course they're gluttons. Uh, 
that that shouldn't be a part of any death penalty offense as far as drunkenness goes. Uh, I, I'm sorry, kids have been experimenting with pot and alcohol, uh, you know, before age ten. Uh, so this idea that uh, oh no, well you know my kid's gotten a hold of the sauce and he eats too much and uh, and he sasses me, gotta kill him. Is this the Flintstones? What are we talking about? It's it's has in mind the rebellion of the authority, even against the fatherly authority. So it, glutton is excessive greediness. At the it's not just oh I'm greedy I want. You know, hey, Dad, give me your ancient Near Eastern equivalent of a credit card so I can go shopping, or something like that. Um, okay, so it's, it's kids kids have eating disorders uh, at very young ages. I don't know what you mean by excessive greediness. Um, but once again, the fact that you were you were trying to justify this as a death penalty offense is astounding to me. Well, <laughs> I think the reason I'm keep talking is because it's a train wreck. Well, I'm, I'm doing it in the context of those circumstances. So I, I, I make no mistake, I don't think this is the morally ideal um, form of punishment, but it was it's the necessary punishment for those sins, given those circumstances, Molinism, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so special pleading, blah, blah, blah. I, what you've said makes no sense in a sane, normal context. So if, if you're talking about uh, you know, we should follow, uh, you know, we should follow sane, normal ideas, then we should set aside the Bible for the reasons that I gave, because it's a book that celebrates uh, A&E violence uh, in ways that we have evolved beyond. I, I'm not entirely sure what your defense right. is. So that's sort of, so by, I wouldn't say sane or normal, that's, but by our standards, yes, we live in a different, we don't live in the same circumstances or context at that time. So it, it would be immoral for a parent to use their son, even if he's a glutton or a drunkard. Uh, we live in the messianic era. Times have changed. Times have evolved. Uh, so I would agree, yes, if we're in the modern context, it's wrong. And that's partly why we look back on these verses and say that it's, Oh, these are horrible or that sort of thing and and they're not reflective of the moral ideal um nobody should be a drunkard in the first place or that sort of thing or or be openly rebellious and that that kind of thing but given those circumstances god knows that was the appropriate punishment for those that was never things. so this is this is where once again any point of contact that we might have with moral agreement goes out of the window that was never appropriate what you were what you were doing is setting up uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations. It was okay for those people because they were animals, but but we are so much more enlightened. It would be wrong for us. No, it's wrong for them because they're people. They're people. They were they were people then. They may not uh, could have built skyscrapers and flown in planes. But they're still people. And their kids didn't deserve to be killed simply because they got hooked on whatever version of hashish they had at the time. Absolutely right. They're people. They're they were primitive people, though. They they didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them permanently. There's a fundamental ontological difference um, in the time, in terms of the circumstances that applied to them. So it's it's the circumstances, not the necessarily the inherent nature of the the persons that were alive at the time, but it's the circumstances that creates the difference uh, and therefore the moral justification on these verses. 
Okay, and with that, I am willing to call it a show. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. So you know, if if people haven't figured me out by now, uh, with a lot of these shows, I, I like to push the conversation until I can get the person to say the the crazy thing that I want to get them to say and highlight. <laughs> Once you've said it, <laughs> it's not a lot of it's nowhere for me to go. You have pretty much said every every crazy thing that I would want you to say and highlight for the people, and they can discuss it. Uh, so you know this is this is what I believe. This is what you believe. It's all out on the table. But you uh, often contrast. Let me ask this then. I don't I don't give a darn about skeptics. Of course, they have their biased worldview. They're always going to be against anything I say. Of but course, we're we're all biased and we're against everything you say. Go ahead. Um, but what about the what about the Christians? Because you always try to do. You, do you think that I'm what I'm saying is totally outrageous from a a Christian standpoint? A Christian would not defend. Unfortunately, those? unfortunately, uh, no, I don't think it's outrageous from a Christian standpoint. But then again, this is why I'm not a Christian, or at least you know part of the reason I, I and why I think no one should be a Christian because you're getting your moral intuitions from a book that is warping your idea of what is good and right uh, for human people. I, I would much rather see you just be a humanist, even though that's a worldview with problems. It's got fewer problems than the one that says, yeah, for, for some people, it's okay to kill your kids if they get drunk. Uh, this, this is, you have lost all contact with any ethical intuition that I share. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like I said, I I agree. I mean, from a modern con, there's a reason why these are difficult verses. There's a reason Paul Copan has to write an entire book about is God a moral monster and that sort of thing because they they're very the circumstances that apply that that justify these verses are so alien to us, um, and that's why it's really important to try and get in there and and see the context of the the text and try to put that in the light the overall light of salvation history and that sort of thing as to in terms of coming up it, it, these things require a justification as to why they're there they're the the default from our perspective modern perspective is these are are weird what the heck's going on here this is not morally ideal um so i would agree with you in saying that much but i would where we disagree is i think there is a moral justification for them Right, and I and I think there is not a moral justification for them, which is why I'm willing to call the discussion at this point, <laughs> because yeah, that's cool. that's that's the place where we get to, um, you know, the the bare essence of what we're saying, and I don't I don't think that we can break it down any further. If we can, I'll be glad to continue talking, but I'm not sure how to, I'm not no. sure what's what's at underneath that that we can get to. Yeah, no, no, I, I think we're pretty much at, at the, the end. So, yeah, I uh, look forward to uh, look forward to seeing the comments, I guess. Uh, <laughs> oh, you um, don't. Sarah's gonna go <laughs> she doesn't like the, the child spanking stuff. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I will email, uh, I will back channel with Sarah and make sure she listens to this episode <laughs> and oh, no, on the board. <laughs> so. But, uh, hey, in all fairness, why don't you... Uh, uh, 
send uh, Joyce a, a missive and um, say because I would I would love to actually see this conversation. I'm calling you two out. I would love to see a conversation on the board uh, between Joyce and Sarah on some of the themes that we've addressed today. All right, sounds good. I, I, I've I've said it before. I would pay money to have them both on the show and just replace us for a week. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't think they're they're interested, but yeah, they are. They are not. But I would be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, hey Dale, who do we have next week? Uh, so next week is April 6th. Oh, uh, so next week it's going to be me and David again. Um, we're going to be continuing my series on the coherence of Christian theism part two. Uh, Spoiler, so- it's not coherent. I'm sorry, okay. go ahead. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's God is, uh, so I have to finish off he's omnipresent, he's eternal, uh, and there's something else that I, I, I wrote this like months ago, so I, I, there's something else that we'll be discussing and trying to show that those are coherent uh yeah and then after that me and david have our have uh, something else for easter planned um so yeah that's our plan for next week yep gonna be fun uh thanks everybody for uh coming along for the ride and uh we'll see you next time bye-bye